Hello, my fellow business change makers, and welcome to another episode of Unbossers Podcast. First and foremost, I'd like to thank everybody for listening because I received the statistics last week, and um, well, they're simply impressive. I was so surprised that so many people are dialing in to this podcast, and that means that the insights of our guests are inspiring a lot of people across the globe and that just makes me super humble and grateful and fulfilled so yeah thank you and also i want to wish you all a merry christmas and a happy new year and i hope you're doing great in this final sprint towards the end of 2022 that being said today i'd like to talk about crisis a crisis in an organization is often used as a reason to fall back on centralized, strong, command and control, top-down leadership. It's a period in an organization that leaders feel the need to be decisive and strong and powerful. And that's a very understandable reflex. If you ask me, it's very human. But there are also alternatives. In my conversation with Buurtzorg CEO Jos de Blok, for example, we discussed how they tackled the corona crisis in a 15,000 people organization with no managers, zero, none. If you want to know more about Jos's story, check out the episode on Apple Podcast or Spotify or watch the clip on our Unbossers YouTube channel. Well, today we're increasing the intensity type of the crisis, you could say, because I'm talking to Stephen Ajay about the crisis of all crises, war, something that became, again, very relevant for all of us in Europe, especially. And what war does with leadership, people and collaboration? We'll zoom in on the conflict in Mozambique, which Stephen witnessed firsthand. Stephen is an award-winning consulting pharmacist who has worked with Britain's NHS and several pharmacy multiples in England and Africa. He's also the founder of Blue Cloud Health, a UK-based African-focused healthcare firm that exists to provide solutions to health businesses in sub-Saharan Africa. They are part of the Emerald Management Group, which is a multi-sectoral consultancy firm with offices in London, Dubai, and Delhi. And lastly he recently released his new book, Pay the Price, Creating Ethical Entrepreneurial Success Through Passion, Pain and Purpose. Available on his website, www.stephenajay.com and also on the standard book platforms. And so, yeah, here's the conversation with Stephen. Stephen, I know it changed my perspective on war and actually gave me some hope as well so I hope it does something similar to you too. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Stephen Ajay. Okay, Stephen, we're recording. Welcome. Welcome. Great. Great to meet you, Nick. Yeah. How are you doing? Brilliant, brilliant. I just love the, the, the term Nick Dambosa. I just think it's a brilliant <laughs> <thing>. <laughs> It's catchy. It's catchy indeed. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah. So you're 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 mixing this uh, the recording of this podcast into your holiday and 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 work agenda, right? You're planning yes. to go to to um, to Ghana and to Rwanda. 
That's correct. Yeah, that's uh, correct. Yeah. Do you travel um, often to Africa? Um, I haven't traveled since COVID. Um, okay, so it's a, oh. yeah, so, yeah. So, but uh, I traveled a lot. I've been to quite a few countries in Africa. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I do travel a lot. Yeah, and, but I love the continents, obviously. Uh, you're you're obviously uh, currently living in uh, in England, in the UK. England, yes, yes. Uh, and where are your roots? So I was born in London, uh-huh. um, but my mom and dad are from Ghana. Okay. Um, I, I currently live in the southwest of England, which is Plymouth. Mm-hmm. Lovely. You should come and visit when you when you when you when you come to England. Very nice place. Um, so I see myself as a citizen of the world. You know, I'm I'm I'm, I'm British, but I'm also very African. So mm. I'll be able to blend the two, which is very good. Yeah, a, a yeah. 21st century human. Correct. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, maybe to to introduce you to our listeners, Stephen. Can you share with us one experience, one life experience that really identifies who you are as a human being? This is a very tricky question, Nick, because um, there are many things. Um, I trained to be a pharmacist. Um, I'm a dad, husband. Um, but until very recently, um, I, I, cut, I saw myself as a, as a pharmacist until one day something happened, which was quite tragic. But in a way, it, it, it turned my life around. Um, and this happened two years ago. And that's actually no, last year. And that's why I'm on this podcast, actually. So one day I was, I was upstairs in, in our lovely home. Um, and I suffered from, from epilepsy. Um, and it was under control for a while. But suddenly I was on the top of the stairs. And I had a massive epileptic fit. It was absolutely massive. And I came crashing down from the top of the stairs. And I hit the floor. Um, everything around me was destroyed. I was foaming at the mouth. Um, and this had happened before. But as I, as I got up, you know, sometimes they say a near-death experience, um, that definitely happened to me. Mm-hmm. So on that day, something, something happened that made me think, right, life is really fragile. I mean, I could lose my life today. So I said, right, I've been trying to write a book for a long time. So that's immediately sparked in me that I need to write this book. So the, I got my wounds dressed, had a medical checkup, everything was fine. Um, obviously, apart from the fact that I had massive wounds and I broke some a few bones, but I started writing my book from that very first day. And mm. within six months, I'd written a 260-page book. Mm. Obviously, the book had been brewing in me for a long time, but you know about this imposter syndrome. You think, oh, you look at people like Simon Sinek and um, Marshall Goldsmith and all these big guys you think I can never be an author. But it took a, a massive fit for me to, <laughs> uh, to do that. And that completely changed, changed the trajectory uh, the, the, of my life, the trajectory. So now I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm almost a published author. I've now become a, a full-time consultant. Um, and I specialize in pain. And that's why the war in Mozambique was such a very real experience for me. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm here. Really. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. Yes. The, 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 main, the main topic we'll discuss is the war in Mozambique and, yeah. and, and what you learned from it and yeah. uh, from an unbossing perspective. Yeah, absolutely. But before we dig into that, just uh, on a side note, do you yeah. do you know the, the, the Russian author Dostoevsky? I've heard his name. Yeah, I've heard his name. I've read his books, but I've heard his name. Um, so he also suffered uh, from uh, epilepsy. So not right. just once, but several attacks. Yes, uh, His exactly. definition of epilepsy was that 
it was an experience that brought him closer to God. So Absolutely apparently something correct. happens in the brain when you have yes. an elliptic seizure yes. Yes. Um, that kind of dissolves uh, the reality as it is and brings you closer to whatever the source of the universe is. So that was his definition. And that, that he is was so a brilliant true, man and he wrote brilliant books. So That is so true. That is so true. I mean, and, and for me, it was, the, it was the humility that it brings to you as a human being because mm-hmm. obviously me being a consultant and me going around um, working some once I was, I was with these guys and I had a fit. I was foaming at the mouth and I was meant to go there to go and help them out, you know, and they had to help me out, you know, because I had a, had a fit that day and it made me, it makes you humble, you know, mm. it makes you humble and it makes you really think that, right, you are there to help people, but people are also there to help you. And, and for me, it just taught me humility. It, it's the quickest way for you to be humble because if you're, if you're on, the, on the floor and you get things coming out of your mouth and you had people having to call an ambulance and all sorts around you, when you come around, you realize that I, I can't, I can't go around with my big chest, you know, these people remember me for saliva coming out of my mouth, <laughs> you know? So it really, so it, absolutely right. It, it draws you closer to God, makes you feel a lot more spiritual and it makes you humble. For me, that's, that's why they talk about gratitude and you shouldn't really be thankful that you have a self and illness. But for me, if I could look at it at a positive way, that is what has taught me humility and gratitude. Okay. So let's segue from, from that to another painful experience, um, which has taught you a lot in the, being the war in Mozambique. Can you, can you describe, um, what kind of country was Mozambique before the war started? So in a way, Mozambique followed the, the trajectory of Africa. So it was, it was a, a settlement of what you call the Bantu people. So there were lots of tribes and they were trading with each other. And then, and then I don't know if you've heard of Vasco da Gama, but he was a famous mm-hmm. Vasco da Gama, okay, yeah. explorer. Yeah. So he went to, he went to, Portu- he went to, um, to his Portuguese, obviously. So he went to um, to um, to Mozambique, um, and I think he liked the place. So he from four, from fourteen ninety three, fourteen ninety eight, I think it was. They began to gradually colonize the country. So for five hundred years, um, Mozambique was a Portuguese colony. Okay. Yeah, but they had a lot of um, issues. There were there were the Arab Muslims that were trying to. Coming in, obviously, because it was it's very rich in resources. It's got gold, it's got oil, it's got lots of resources. So even in those days, it was very, very popular. So the Portugal had a had a hard time controlling the, the country. But for 500 years, it was a it was a Portuguese colony, um, right up to into into the 60s. So yeah, so before that, it was it was it followed a lot of the African countries, most of the countries, but I think Mozambique, Angola. Um, and I think Equatorial Guinea are different because they were um, colonized by Portugal. Mm-hmm. And when did the wars then started? Um, so it's more and, of wars. And what, and what, what, war, was yeah. the, what was the reason? Yeah, so there's more of wars and not war. So the first <laughs> war um, happened in 1960. Well, it wasn't a war. It was an insurgency. So generally, you know, like it was with, with colonization, the, the locals, the Mozambicans, got more and more and more upset as time went on because they saw that Portugal was just 
symphony, the wealth, and we get more. So there, there was this huge uprising in the country in a, in a, in a, city, in a town called Munedu, Muneda, nineteen sixty, where they went to protest, and that turned bloody. Um, lots of people died. Um, the Portuguese um, colonial master at the time fire on them. So that sparked the insurgency. So there was a war. It was a civil war. Well, there's a civil war. It was a war to to try to get independence from 1964. Um, 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 it was something called Felimo. It was a party called Felimo, and they started it. And that war took nine years um, before they got independence. So in 1975, they got independence. And then the country was sort of peaceful for two years. And then there was another war, and that lasted for 15, from 1977 to 1992. So virtually the country has was at, at war, really, from 1964 to 1992. Very long time. Wow. Um, so, so it's more war, so not war, if you, if, if you know what I mean. And, and what's the, the, the current? So the, that war lasted until 1992. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, what is the, the current state of the country? So the war ended in 1992. Um, the, the the guy who started there was a, um, a party called Felimo, so there's, there's like a one state. They were, they were the ones who really spearheaded the independent independence, and they and they and they and they the ones that fought the Portuguese and won and won. Um, the guy the guy who who who, who started was called um, Michel Samar Michel. Actually, his wife he died in a plane crash, and his wife is now married was was one was the one that got married to that's Mandela, if you remember correctly. Mandela. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Mandela married um, Samora Marshall's wife. Because Samora Marshall okay. died in a plane crash. Yeah. Mean, the, the Mandela from South Africa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nancy Mandela. Yeah, yeah. His wife, yeah. He's obviously divorced Winnie and then I, I married him, Greca. Um, so, yeah. So that, that took, that, that, that war took 2022 and then there was another war and then they got into independence. No, sorry. They got, they got into democracy. There was then an election which Felimo won. And then from there on, there's been a low-level war, but it's nothing like what happened um, in, in those days. So now it's, it's relatively peaceful, but there are a few insurgencies going on, but not like it used to be. And what makes, what drives you um, before, just before we go into what you learned and, and, uh, from, from observing the war and, and, and what people did uh, during the war, uh, which I think will be very interesting since we are currently also having a war in, in, in Europe between Russia and Ukraine. Sorry. So I think it's going to be very relevant for a lot of, of people listening. Yep. Um, but before we dig into, in, into that, what drives you to talk about this, this, this war? Were, were you, were you part, were you living in Mozambique? Were you yeah, so no, relatives no. there? No. So, I was I was a teenager then, obviously. Um, so when the war ended, um, 1992, was around the same time. I was in Ghana then. I was I was a young teenager in Ghana, and obviously, we were fascinated because by then in Ghana we had we had independence then. We had been in independence for 1957, so quite a while. A while. And obviously, I wasn't. I was not born then when when the country got independence. I was I was born much much later, but. It was fascinating watching it from Ghana because we thought, well, we, we've gone past this now. We don't have any more civil wars. We had problems, obviously, in Ghana and Nigeria and all of that. But that war was always on the news for some reason. And as a child, as a teenager then, um, in 1992, I remember the day when the war finally came to an end. 
and the joy, even though we lived miles and miles away, it, the joy that we felt um, after the war, because we thought 600,000 people died from, from, from famine. Over 1.2 million people were killed in, in the war. I mean, when they left, the country was devastated after the war. It was devastated. There were no doctors. So I remember as a young boy then, I mean, I was, I was, I was just, just about, I think I was just about 20 years old when the, when the war um, ended. I remember the joy and, and that we felt, the happiness that we felt, uh, even though it was miles away. And that's stuck with me since, mm. you know, um, the fact that it was one of the last countries um, in Africa to, to, to go through such a long period of war. And now to look at Mozambique now, I mean, there's still got problems, obviously. Mm-hmm. But look at the country now and look at the country then. It's made huge strides. And, and yeah. it was the joy of, of, of that. Mm-hmm. African, I've seen that. that. That's what stuck with me. And, and yeah, I think I think I, I definitely can relate to that because that's what also what we currently have on our news. I mean, Belgium is not really directly involved in the war between Russia and Ukraine, but it is daily on the news. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. and and just by that, uh, you 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 feel connected with it somehow. You do, yeah, you do, you do, yeah, you do, you do, you do, you do. yeah, you do. You do. I guess a, a lot of listeners are now thinking, okay. Um, a very interesting uh, uh, story, but what the hell does this have to do with unbossing? <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I could, I can literally hear some, some listeners now in my, in my eyes thinking, what, "What's this go- lovely?" But what's this got to do with, um, with 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 this lovely podcast? Yeah. yeah. So please enlighten us, Stephen. <laughs> so this came to haunt you, and I started writing the book, um, which is which I by the way I call "Pay the Price," which is a book about entrepreneurship. And I, 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 what happened in, in the war was was quite was quite fascinating because during the war in 1983-1984, all the doctors left the country, obviously. So there were no doctors in the country at all. There were only 80 doctors in a country of 14 million people. Um, so how many about. doctors were there? 80. 80. Eight, in a country zero. of 14 million people. 14 million people were only 80 doctors. And because of the war, um, which I'm talking about the, about, about the civil war now. I mean, after they got the independence, the civil war, there were two, two parties fighting for, for, for um, so it's a civil war now. And during that war, they, they were trying, they, they cut back on, 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 on healthcare. So there were, were no spending money on healthcare at all. And there were horrible atrocities. And there were people dying. Um, and there were no doctors. So this, um, at the time, the Minister of Health was called um, Pascal Mokumbi. And he thought, people are dying. There were people that were, uh, obviously, women that were trying to give birth. There were no doctors to look after them. So he came up with this radical idea that why can't we just train people um, to be surgeons? And at the time, when he said it, the people were thinking, well, this, this, cannot be, this cannot happen. But there was no choice, really. People were dying. So he went ahead with it. He, 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 he took people that were like, they were like dispensers or they were like, um, what you call technicians, technicals, they, made it, made it, made it, they, were, so they were people that were working in hospitals. They dispensed medication. They didn't really have anything at all to do with, with surgery, anything at all to do with medicine. But, he, but the, he took them, he took about 100 of them and trained them. And within two years or two to three years, these guys had now became, had become fully qualified surgeons. And they were actually um, con, um, doing proper surgery, you know, proper um, surgery on people. People were dying from the war, people that came back with their legs cut off. They were, 
um, women that were that did needed emergency um, maternal care, um, so they were prison. And these guys had nothing. So two years ago, they had no idea about 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 how to operate. They had no idea about medicine. And some of them had never been in hospital. But within two to three years, he had trained these guys, and these guys were now operating fully. So because of the war, this was a typical. And I found when I was when I was doing the research for my book, I found that quite fascinating that that could happen, in, in, especially in Africa, in a country where there was civil war, where there were no there was no money for healthcare, but Dr. Makumbi was able to perform these feats, and at the time it was unheard of. I mean, surgeons did surgery, you know. You wouldn't take a man on the streets and say you come and prison on. I mean, Nick, I don't know whether you're married, but I mean, I'm I'm married with 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 two kids, and there's no way I allow a girl on the streets to come and prison my wife if she can have a baby. That would never happen, <laughs> you know. So to think about it, especially even in the UK, which is quite developed, but think of, think about it in Mozambique, which was very very um, poor at the time, in the midst of a war and training people to become surgeons was fascinating, mm-hmm. and that 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 led me to your podcast. I thought this is a typical example of unbossing, you know, where you you take something that somebody has done for so long and give it to another person who has had very little, very intensive training, very focused training, but two years, in two years, they were, this, they were just an operation, operation on people. And they had fantastic results, as I can talk to you about later. And what would you like the the... The professionals listen at all levels of the organization, from the top, the top executives to the, the 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 people, the technicians working in the companies that are listening to this podcast. What would you like them to take away from this story? So basically, what happened was after that, this became a national, a worldwide phenomenon. Okay, now it, it was started in Mozambique. A lot of people didn't know this. But this movement now that we have in the UK, the US, where now, for instance, I'm, I'm a pharmacist, like I said to you before, um, four or five years ago, pharmacists were the only people that could check prescriptions um, in the UK, um, were legally allowed to check prescriptions. Now that's changed now. We have what you call um, accredited checking um, technicians. They can now check prescriptions. You know, that was unheard of before. Um, in Ethiopia, for instance, after the war, this same thing was replicated. You know, the, 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 the healthcare system was completely devastated. Um, and now and they had to build it from scratch. And again, they had to take people that were, that, were, that were in very trained, train them up very quickly for them to become. And now you know, we, we go to Ethiopia, there's lots of health posts around the country where there are no doctors, but it's functioning, functioning very, very well. So I think my take for, for organizations, really for the people at the top, is that we should now look at giving more power and more training to people down the line to be able to do more of what we thought were our things that we should do. And this is, um, um, I think one of, one of your podcasters in, in the healthcare, um, Nina, I think she was called, talked about, talk about this earlier. Hey, Changemakers, I really hope you are enjoying this conversation. We will continue right away. I just have this one important thing I want to share with you, so listen up. You probably noticed that all of our conversations on this podcast are packed with tons of best practices, insights, and tools. But unless you're taking notes, and even then, you're probably forgetting most of it. And that is why, together with our premium customers, we 
co-created a super useful embossers notebook with all the key insights and tools in one place. So just go to our website, www.embossers.com and download the digital version of this notebook for free. And for only 25 euros, we will deliver a printed version of the notebook to the address of your choice. So help yourself, support our cause and go get that notebook. Yeah, what you're saying is that you you see this as a clear example that um, we can empower people in the front line to take up the, even the most critical roles in the organization, just like uh, doing surgery on people and helping uh, women to give, women to give labor is a critical role in our society. Yeah, do okay. you feel like? in order for an organization to transition from the traditional bureaucratic way of doing things, um, where basically the, 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 the power of frontline people is highly limited um, towards the, the alternative that we are just describing, that this requires some kind of war, eh? not war in the, in the sense of people killing each other, but a, a, a conflict in the organization that kinds of resets everything and 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 takes away all the safety nets and and all the the the, the things the the illusions and and that that is required to bring out this um yeah the best in people and this sense of urgency and all of that absolutely nick we have no choice we all know we've all been reading now about their great resignation I mean, you've probably you've probably read about it, heard about it. People are leaving in, in droves, and I and I, I I was doing some research about about this when I was writing my book, and, and I was thinking, why are people leaving? You know, and 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 McKinsey came out came out gave, did did a, did a huge survey and came up with 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 with, with the reasons. And forty one percent of people are leaving because they have no career developments. You know? no career development. Yeah, they can't see a way forward. They're working doing the same jobs over and over again. They can't stay away for it for them. And so they're leaving. I mean, 36% of people are leaving because of the compensation. They're not getting enough money. They're not being compensated enough for what they feel they're doing. It's not necessarily the pay. So there's a difference between pay and compensation. Yeah. Pay is More the recognition get. side. Exactly. Yeah. People are not being recognized for what they're doing. And people are, I feel, feel, feel like they're getting stuck. 34% of people are leaving, are leaving because they look at the people at the top and they're not inspiring. What's inspiration? Inspiration means that I, as a leader, I'm letting you know that you can do more than you think you're doing. You know, so there are three things. So we have no choice. If, if, if we don't begin to, I mean, there was a, a book, I mean, actually you interviewed him. I just remembered um, Christian Stadler and the new book, um, Open Strategy. I think he, 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 he yeah. interviewed him. Yeah, you interviewed yeah, him. He was on our uh, podcast. Exactly. Open so your podcast, exactly. Exactly. And, and they were saying that if you don't open up now your strategy to people on the ground, and this is what we are seeing. So people have realized that during COVID, that actually I'm worth more than I am. They, they, I'm, I can do more than, I, than, than I, they've been at home. They've had time to contemplate. And then thinking, look, well, I can do more than this. You know, you, 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 I'm stuck in this office behind this screen all day. I could do more than I'm doing. So really, really, Nikki, there's no choice. If, if, if managers don't move quickly and begin to give more people autonomy, more people leadership roles, begin to create more career development for people, people will continue to leave. 
And that, so that is what you're saying is that the metaphor of a war is already happening in absolutely. many organizations. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. The only defense with what happened in Mozambique, what's happening now, is that in Mozambique they were forced to do it. Dr. Makumbi was forced to do it by a proper war. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is being forced now. It will be forced because people are leaving. That is a war. You know, in Mozambique people were dying. People are not dying now. But in, in, in a way, I mean, you only go to look, I mean, in, in the, I don't know how it was like in Belgium, but you only go to look, go down, go down um, a high street to see the number of shops that are closing, you know? Um, I mean, I was in Wales um, last week uh, on a conference meeting for, for a business meeting. And I was so sad when I went into the shopping center in one of the biggest towns in Wales to see the number of shops that are closing down. People are just leaving because people are thinking, I'm not, I'm not taking this anymore. I'm not going to sit behind this office anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm worth more. And if you don't give me what I, what I need, if you don't give me the career development, the compensation, if you don't inspire me, I'm going to leave. What are what are the 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 unspoken talents that come to the surface in times of crisis? So, what what kind of unspoken talents have you seen coming to the surface in in Mozambique? Yeah, so again, the heroes go. I mean, I know we sometimes give a lot of credit to Dr. Dr. Mukumbi. Oh, sorry about that. That's my, my computer. Um, we give a lot of credit to Dr. Mukumbi, who um, obviously started this process of, 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 of training the surgeons. But the real heroes are the people that step up onto the plates. You know, these are the real heroes. I mean, for instance, I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll give you a few examples why they're heroes. So they did a study after, after this war and everything and everything else in Mozambique. They did a study in 2007 um, of, of, of these surgeons that were trained, um, which we call the technicals, the secretary, that were trained, and proper surgeons that had been to universities and had got a surgery degree and were proper doctors. Now, after 30 years, all the doctors who were at their posts had left. They'd gone. They'd gone to Portugal or they go to South Africa. The guys who were trained, these um, guys who were, taken over, who were trained to be surgeons were all still at their posts. You know, none of them had left. They were still there after 30 years. They were all still there, still doing their jobs. Mm -hmm. We're talking about... We're talking about um, the so unspoken talent is loyalty? Yes, loyalty. That's the first thing. The second thing is also as well is the commitment and the quality. Now, because they have come sort of in, in inverted commerce from, they don't have the, the privilege that these people had. They, they didn't, they, were, they weren't able to go to a posh university. They weren't able to go to universities. They had to be trained on, um, trained for maybe from the streets. They felt they have more to prove. They felt they had more of the motivation to work. And so the another study was done and they compared the quality, the difference in quality between the surgeons that did a job, the proper surgeons that did a job, And the quality of the of the technical secretary, which were the guys that were trained, oh, and there the was also a difference in quality. No, minimal. No, no, no difference in quality. Oh, no, uh, very minimal. Yeah, because yeah. they didn't have this posh education. No, no. Huh? They, 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 they surveyed about almost eleven thousand people that are going through the thing, and the difference in quality was minimal. And what was even surprising, Nick, was even the doctors and the surgeons who were who before were against it. They they fought it. They didn't want it to happen. Mm -hmm. when they did a study and they asked them how do you feel now after 20 years they said they, they these are the doctors themselves the surgeons themselves 
They said, yes, wow, they've done a really good job. No, they, they said it themselves. They, 92% of them rated the, 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 the job that they were doing as good. So you could, you could see the turn around in the minds of the surgeons at that time. They, 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 they completely turned around their minds and they said, wow, this is good. So even though sometimes leaders and CEOs are free to relinquish power, actually when you do relinquish the power, actually when you do unboss, actually when you do allow people to do what they're, to give them more potential and more autonomy and more training to do things that we think are reserved for us, we benefit, they benefit, the organization benefits, customers benefits, and clients benefits. We just have to be able to trust if if we give them good training and good motivation, they will do the job. And I've seen this personally in the UK. Sometimes the people that check these check these checkers that check prescriptions and do they do a better job than I do as a pharmacist. Sometimes you know the, the things that I see and I, I don't spot it, they see it, they spot it straight away. You know. So you mentioned the the word trust. Yeah. How. I mean, as you, as you mentioned as well, I mean, the real heroes are on the one hand, the doctor who started the initiative, but also, and definitely the people who stepped up after so many years of war to, to try to make a difference. I mean, um, uh, just, I mean, the thought alone that to take on the responsibility to, to, to apply surgery to people after having such a limited training or only two years. I mean, courageous people, really courageous people. How would you define trust in such a chaotic crisis, warlike situation? What, which brings out also the worst in people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So this is where character becomes crucial. Okay. So yes, you want to delegate. Um, yes, you want people to do their job, but trust, you cannot take away trust and character. Okay. They go to, they go hand in hand. So there was a rigorous process in, in setting these people. And these people were people that were proven to be people of character. The jobs that they were doing, they were already doing before they got called. They were all the highly respected in those jobs. You know? So we're not by, by any means saying take anybody off the street and train them. No, there must be some level of integrity. There must be some level of character. There must be a level of internal, internal, internal thing there for them to be able to do this job. Because obviously, in a time of war, people are angry. People are offended. You've killed my brother. You've killed my sister. You... So there's the trust there. It's not there. You know, because I'm thinking, oh, this guy, I'm, I'm, I'm operating on. Maybe he killed my brother, <laughs> you know. So there must be a deep well of trust, a deep well of integrity, a deep well of character within you to be able so, to write above that. Am I correct that they, the, the people they chose for, uh, to be educated, um, that these were highly respected people already yes. in the village? Yes, yes. So in the town, so they were all already working in, in a healthcare setting. Yeah, but there were people that had gained respect of, of where they were working already. They already yeah. had that kind of so in a sense, already. what they did was they they eliminated the importance of posh university, posh uh, titles, posh this, and they looked at which people are already trusted and uh, respected in the community. Exactly. Um, and those people we are so actually the natural leaders in the sense that people that were already followed 
by people in the village they were the people that they were going to educate yes exactly okay. you cannot eliminate that i mean um i've got, i've had the same experience um, in in plymouth and in the uk where we i had to train because of the of the of the, of the COVID, we know how covid hit the uk really bad and, and and the government had to roll out quickly vaccination so where where i consulted um there were three or four people that had never touched a needle so we are uh, these things work wherever you are and I, i'm i'm going to give an example here in the uk we um we we took three people well two people that had never touched a needle in their lives they had never vaccinated they had not done anything, anything at all one of them um, nick was a refugee from Kyrgyzstan you know she spoke no english okay she just been in the uk for just a year spoke very little english had just recently qualified as a dispenser yeah but you, when i interviewed her i thought wow this woman has been through stuff you could you could you know sometimes you get this this uh, i mean you know this nick i mean for you, you do this for, you, you have a, a, a sense a gut instinct for people and i thought yeah she speaks no english normally people would just write her off and think oh, she just can't do anything but i don't know just got something here now we put her through the training and now this is a year ago she's vaccinated personally vaccinated over 10000 people and she spoke no english but she had that reserve of character she had a reserve she obviously she, she, she she's a woman of faith as well um very strong muslim but she had a, she had a reserve of character integrity and you could see that she wanted to help you know if if people have this thing there the character there they have those things right training them for the skills is not so difficult if they don't have the character if they don't have the personal integrity it doesn't matter the training you give them they will mess up So those things are crucial and that's what we sometimes forget when we are when we are um, trying to unboss you know we, we 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 you need to look at the people that are already leaders already have integrity already are, are, are trusted and liked and 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 are making the right calls and then you can promote them mm-hmm. okay um okay you just don't take anyone over the street but that is crucial that trust is crucial Yeah, and in 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 my experience uh, in in organizations, most people that I meet, they are good of character and yes. they have good intentions. Is that your impression as well, or is it yes, only I mean, only the only the few? No, no, no. I mean, when we talk about character, I think sometimes we we define we define character wrongly. I think we define a character as somebody who is good. somebody who won't steal somebody who won't cheat now the vast majority of people are like this and you know you know someone on the street is not going to cheat but uh, there's a book i read um called integrity and the end, and um he de- um, he he defined character as the ability to meet the demands of reality that's character you know the person has the ability to meet the demands of reality You know that's what character really is you know mm-hmm. something goes wrong there is stress they don't break down they don't crash they will look out for other people even sometimes at their expense uh you know I mean, adam grant wrote in his, in his book give and take about givers matches and takers you know so you want people that are givers people that are, that are, that have the intrinsic desire to help mm-hmm. to look out for people that's Those what are character the, are the change makers Absolutely, and, and, and the other people will follow them. Exactly, 
And those people, and, and if you can, this is this when I took someone when I took um, she's called Binay there, um, this and 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 another girl called Fun. This when I when I when, we, when, when I trained them, these people were already respected in what they were doing. No, and, and this taking course for security in, in, in Mozambique, they were already respected, they already had it in them, and so all you had to, you had to do was give them the skills and freedom. And those are the and they, and and there are quite a few around. If you look if you look properly, there are quite a few around, and these are the guys that would stimulate change in your organization mm. if you look for them well. If you if you have time to listen to them, and sometimes go beyond. Um, um, the, the obvious things. Maybe they can't speak your language properly. They are, they've come from a different country. They're an immigrants. I mean, if if you saw um, the the girl that I, that we trained, um, Binay, who came from from Kyrgyzstan, um, if you saw her on the street, you wouldn't think that she was she's capable. But she had that reserve of character in her that enabled her to do this. You know, so very inspiring. Yeah, it makes made me think. Um, in Belgium, we also have uh, an organization called Mobile School, who's uh, founded by Arnaud Rasquin, and he um, he creates these mobile versions of schools, and then teachers walk around in the poorest areas in the world, um, using the school to teach the children who are homeless and and just living on the street to give them education with their mobile school. And out of that, he saw the how much creativity some of these children have. Amazing. For example, there was one kid that noticed that if he was able to approach a tourist in the language of the tourist, that the chances to get some food or some drinks or some money were higher. So he solo taught himself almost 20 languages. Wow. And the skill to very quickly see where the tourist was coming from, <laughs> which is amazing. And so mobile school, they, they turned, um, they turned the creativity that I saw on the streets into workshops that they also offer, uh, to, to big corporations. And, uh, that, that company is called, um, uh, streetwise. So the Fantastic. wisdom of the streets, very, yeah. very cool. Stuff. Uh, yeah. Amazing. So Steven, um, we're going to the end of the conversation. Maybe what's the title of your up, up and coming book? Um, so it's called pay the price. Um, it's, it's out on 30th August uh, on Amazon and all good, good bookstores. Um, I wrote it because, um, I was actually quite inspired by, by your podcast. <laughs> um, and I wrote it because I, I felt that during this time of the great resignation, a lot of people are going out there, um, there's a study done by the H, uh, by Harvard Business Review saying that people don't see employment nine to five anymore, nine to five employment anymore as a good option. Um, but then there's lots of books about entrepreneurship. You know, I mean, you know this, lots of books about leadership. But I think there's a very high failure rates. 90% of people are going into business and still failing. Despite all the resources that we have, despite all the things that we have, and I've lived the entrepreneurial life and I've, I've seen failure. I mean, I talked to you about the epilepsy, for instance. So I decided to write a, a real book that's that talking about pain, the kinds of different kinds of pain that we, you have. Um, talks about how to take a, do a part, choose a partner, what's an, what's an ethical entrepreneur, um, things about legacy, definition of success, integrity, character. 
these are things that are, you don't really see in a lot of books. So I decided to write a real, a proper, I'm not saying the other books are not real. They are real. They're very good books. I mean, I'm, 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 but my book was really, really, really an addition yeah. for people to, this was, to realize. This, this is your contribution to the the area of uh, entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship. business. Yes, yeah. But, but, but I think the issue of pain and failure is not talked about a lot. So I used models to explain the kind of pain that you go through, the kind of stages that you go through, so that people can expect these things before they start. You know, sometimes you think, oh, if I start my business, if I have my own my own purpose, if I have drive, it will be fine. No, it won't be fine. <laughs> there are things that you have to, you will go through. And if you are prepared for those things before they happen, then you're more likely to be able to succeed. And that's, that's, so, that's so my... On, on that note, Stephen, my, my final question would be, what is the one thing our listeners should know about pain in the workplace? That's a very good question, Nick. Um, they should read your book. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they should read my book. That would, that, would be, that would be good. But basically, in my book, um, and I came up with this brand new model, which I call the flood response of pain. Um, and there are four kinds of pain we all go through. There are four kinds. Um, and I, I used a flag because it's easier to think about it in, a, in terms of a flag. So there's red flag pain, which is a pain that we do to ourselves, alcoholism, gluttony, um, gambling, pornography, um, anger. That's red flag pain. Uh, it's called a red flag pain because when you see that pain, you need to stop. When you're driving and you see a red flag or a red light, it means stop. Mm-hmm. If you want to progress, to stop those bad, bad habits to be very to go very quickly and it would go to the whole thing. And there's the amber pain, um, which is the yellow pain, and that's the pain of waiting. Okay, now in, in entrepreneurship or in, in any organization, there's a pain where you have to wait. You know, you have the resources, you have everything, but there's some things that are not within your control, and you have to wait for those things to happen. Okay, and that's it out. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's the amber pain because you have to wait. It's, it's, when, you're, when, you, when you are driving, and you get to a traffic light and it says amber, it means you have to wait. Mm. Then there's the green flag pain. Green flag pain is caused by people or things around you or you talking to yourself saying you're not, you're not good enough. You know, your, sometimes your loved ones, your friends, your people in your organization, your boss, they're telling you things. You're not good enough. You can't do this. You can't do that. Or you talking to yourself and you feel pain from that. That's green flag pain. You keep going. If you believe in yourself, you keep going. It's a green flag pain. And then the final pain I want to talk about is, is what we call white flag pain. Now, white flag means you surrender. Okay. So for me, the epilepsy I have is a white flag pain. Okay. I can't control it. And it is basically from the unfairness of life. You know, I'm sure you, Nikki, you've got yours. Um, we've all got our white flag pains. Um, mm-hmm. And we and, and the way to do that is with the white flag, it means surrender. Okay. So I've surrendered to the fact that I've got epilepsy. Okay, I can't drive. Okay, I can't just hop into a car and drive to a meeting. I have to cycle. I have to walk. I have to get the bus. You know, some people have different kinds of white flag pains. It could be the fact that you're a woman uh, and you're working in a, in a male-dominated environment. It's a white flag pain. Surrender to the fact that you're a woman and press on. You know, so these are the four kinds of pain that we all go through. And when you're going through pain, you need to sit back and think, which kind of pain is this? Is it a red flag? Is it green flag? Is it amber flag? Or is it white flag? And then you choose them act accordingly. Exactly. Rather than just freaking out, getting stressed out, and quitting. 
You know, okay. you have all kinds of pain and you take that and then you choose the one that's appropriate and you respond. That's um, it's, it's the first time I hear such a perspective on, uh, on, on, on pain uh, yeah. and, and growth eh? because yeah. pain and growth are, are correlated with each other. So very inspiring, Stephen. And I, I, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for sharing your story um, and inspiring us. I hope a lot of listeners will relate with the message that you shared and um, end of August, look out for the book yes. of Stephen. Um, on Amazon. Re re Amazon. Repeat the title again. Uh, pain. Um, it's, called, it's called Pay the Price. Pay the Price. Pay the uh, Price. We all have to pay the price, right? We all have to pay the price. Yes, absolutely. We all have to pay the price. There's no, no, no way out of it. Absolutely, 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 absolutely. So again, thank you. A lot of gratitude sending your way. And um, let's keep in touch. And, and you keep doing your doings. You have an amazing podcast and, 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 and I love listening to you guys. Yeah, okay. thanks so much. We will. Okay, so that is a wrap for this episode of our Ambassadors podcast. If you liked it, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you can stay up to date with all our future content. For the love of people and business, keep unbossing. Keep unbossing.